are back uh, to the Welcome to the J podcast hosted by me, Jahans Maniga, aka Canadian Rebel. Uh, we're doing this after a very exciting game that we just witnessed. Uh, the boys on the road in New Jersey versus Seton Hall with an incredible comeback. Before we get into all of that, though, make sure you like and subscribe to the Field of 68 Media Network. Um, we also are collaborating with the Locker Room app. If you guys don't have that, make sure you download it on all your uh, mobile devices. Uh, we'll be doing some pregame, some postgame stuff on there as well. Uh, it's a better way for us to get fan interaction uh, where you can actually uh, kind of be placed on deck. Uh, if you have any questions that you have for any host, they could tap you in. You can ask your question and the host discuss it either with you still online or if you choose to get offline, the host can discuss whatever your question is. So make sure you get the Locker Room app. And like I said, don't forget to like and subscribe to the Field of 68 Media Network. Today with me, I have a very, very special guest. I've been meaning to get my guy on. Uh, he hails from Des Moines, Iowa. Wait, hold on. Let me make sure I get that right. From Waukee, Iowa. He's a former Blue Jay Madness dunk champ. He's a current six-year pro. He's played in Estonia, Denmark, Cyprus, Romania, Taiwan, Malaysia, and most recently in Mexico. He's the creator of Swagger himself, Mr. Big Swag, Will Artino. Welcome to the pod, Will. Welcome <laughs> to the day, brother. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I know we have been trying to get it going. It's yeah. been a little bit. Uh, but finally, we made it work. I'm happy to join you. It's good to Jay. see you, man. Look at that. Beard, <laughs> Again, <bro>. at this day. <laughs> <laughs> We're back in the J, man. Who would have thought? Who would have thought we'd be back in here? Man. Hey, how, how you doing, though? How you living? I already see people in the chat going, Artino. People are really yes, excited for you to have to be on here. So I'm glad yeah. we finally figured it out. How you been living, man? I'm good right now. I'm in Omaha, just working out. Uh, I'll head to Uruguay soon. Um, They're just finishing up visa stuff, and then I'll go out and start training camp again. Then I'll be on the move probably for like a year. I'm gonna go from there to another place. Just keep going. Uh, yeah. The try to get this. Never just try and get this year back after sitting out for so long. Right. Think so. It's been such a weird year, obviously, with COVID and all that stuff. A lot of uh, people don't realize the difficulties of actually being a pro and finding a job somewhere legit that you could actually uh, go, uh, be safe and work in a safe environment. So I'm happy that, you know, you, you're talking about the Uruguay stuff. I'm happy another landing spot that the, the career continues. And obviously, good luck to you as you move on to that endeavor. We have to get into this game, though, obviously. What a crazy game it was. The Jays were down and out, 16 points in the second half. Mount a furious comeback down the stretch. Show a lot of moxie, show a lot of experience, show a lot of cojones, as I like to say, to make tough shots uh, in the end, get the stops that they needed, even though they didn't do that for the majority of the night. But they end up climbing or, or leaving New Jersey, I should say, with a W. A big Big bounce back game from Mitch Ballack. If you guys heard some of the stuff that I said in the locker room app before the game, I said Coach Mack was going to skip a few games to start, or a few plays to start the game uh, for Mitch Ballack. And lo and behold, the very first play of the game, he gets Mitch going with a simple down screen off of misdirection action. What did you see from Mitch today? Well, obviously, we, we know how much of an impressive shooter he is. We've been saying that for the longest. What did you see from him tonight that 
made you maybe yeah, even more impressed in this game? I mean, that was – you kind of took the words out of my mouth. That first thing I was going to say is, Mitch, I mean, what can you say? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the big thing was he was aggressive. I mean, from the start, he was looking for a shot. And when you probably are 40-plus tanker, three-point shooter, you got to shoot. I mean, uh, and he – he really attacked the basket. I mean, I, I don't know how many layups he had, at least yeah. two. It was like, I think I mean, you could, three of them where he just got back to big and just scooped it up there. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, as a shooter, you know, you're a shooter, you know that if you can, if you make shots and you can get to, and you get in layups, like, that's really going to open up the game for not just him, but everybody else. Cause he's such an unselfish player, <laughs> but sometimes he's too unselfish and he's got to attack and then use his playmaking ability after that, you know? Avery was here a couple of uh, episodes ago. Uh, this is episode eight, by the way. You're our eighth guest. Avery was here a couple of episodes ago, a couple of episodes ago, and he called it a, a term that I haven't heard anybody use before. But obviously, it's Avery, so he comes up with his own kind of lingo. He said that players who are defending guys like Mitch, guys like Ethan, guys like Doug, have to hold their hand no matter yeah. where they go. And tonight we saw an example of obviously many uh, times where Cena Hall basically forgot to hold Mitch's hand uh, as soon as he crossed half. And he hit a deep, once he hit that deep three from the logo in the first half, I was like, yep, he's got it rolling tonight. Uh, it's such an impressive thing. Uh, like I said, like we are doing this thing with Locker Room app. I'm I'm putting my Tony Romo hat on. I feel like I kind of called a lot of this tonight. I said that Mitch was going to have a big game. I said that Coach Bagger was going to script the first couple of plays for him. Both those things happened. Uh, he was just so impressive. I, I really can't say enough about the way that he played, uh, his character on the court. Uh, it just seemed like even when he missed a couple of shots, you, you just felt like it was going in for sure. What did yeah, you Yeah, I mean, like that last one that he missed before the game winner, like, I didn't even realize. Like it looked like a terrible shot from the camera angle, and then when they played the other camera angle, he was it was smooth, like and it looked good. I mean, he's just such a pure shooter, and he's just he needs just to keep being more aggressive uh, to keep that offense going. And I mean, it was good to see him put up points again after. Uh, I mean, I missed the last game. I saw the Butler game, and that was a tough game. I mean, they just really really needed this one. I mean, we've been in this position uh, a couple times in the Valley at the end of the year where we're trying to fight for good seating and, you know, you drop a couple and then you get down and it's really deflating and then you get a comeback win and that really is just, so it's a roller coaster. It's a long season, but I mean, that's just, you know, they're now they're turning back. I feel like this is a huge win. Um, just like you, I'm hoping that this game really kind of sets the trend for the future. Like you said, it's a long season and especially this year where with so many uncertainties um there's right. ups and downs it's tough to get into a rhythm it's a really long season and sometimes you have kind of like uh a bit of a, a down part of the year where you lose two games i remember our teams we were notorious for in february at some point losing three games right. in a row do you remember those times in the valley <laughs> yep yeah the game i was thinking of was the one at evansville that we came back and won yeah and uh, yeah. and d-rock came into the locker room because it was a scout and he was going crazy he was like i didn't want to say anything during the game, but that was the game we had to win. If we would have lost that, we wouldn't have had a hope at a, uh, at large. Granted, we won the tournament both years. I, I was in the Valley with you guys, but, I mean, we didn't know that. And the Long Beach State game the year before uh, in the Bracket Busters, we had that comeback that really set the tone for the rest of right. our season. So I would uh, think that – That, that was Antoine the time that Young. Antoine hit that buzzer yeah. Yeah, and everybody rushed the court. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, I think that – 
come March, and you know, hopefully they make a run. They, they'll look back, and this will be the catalyst for the season. A hundred percent. Like games like this, you don't realize how much of a momentum boost it is until like you step into the next game, and obviously everyone has an extra bounce in their step. The the proverbial monkey has been lifted off their backs, and they're able to just kind of play loose and relax. Obviously, they lost. Uh, two games in a row before they snapped it uh, last game against UConn. Now they've won. They went from losing two in a row to winning two in a row in, in very uh, two tough teams, uh, two difficult situations. So uh, good on the boys for, you know, obviously sticking through it, being down 16 in the second half and continuing to fight. Another guy that I thought was going to have a big game and, and again, didn't steer me wrong at all, Marcus Zagorowski. I said in the second half of the UConn game that he looked a lot more comfortable uh, that he was getting to his spots and his legs seemed to be getting stronger underneath him as the game waned on. Same thing kind of happened today where he just kind of played his game and, and just kept, uh, you know, plucking away at it. Before you know it, uh, he makes a huge three. Um, and then obviously has the assist to Mitch for the go-ahead three that pretty much sealed the game once they got a defensive stop. So uh, asked you what you thought about Mitch. What did you think about Mitch Zagorowski? Or uh, sorry, Marcus, Marcus Zagorowski's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, tonight. I mean the thing with Marcus, a lot of people don't realize is you know he's coming off another surgery after last. Before that, he got the surgery. So I mean, you know, as an athlete, it's it's a mental block to start. And so I mean, he's he could still he's probably in my my eyes not even really in midseason form yet. Like right. he'll have he has some good games. He's had some bad games, and he's just he's such a uh, controlled player. He always he doesn't really force much. He lets the game come to him, and I mean he just did a great job of controlling the game down the stretch and getting at the spots in the right spot and just making plays. Yeah, just to touch on that, he had the meniscus uh, injury against the Seton Hall team uh, to win the share of the Big East regular season championship last year, and then earlier this year against the Seton Hall team again. Uh, kind of hyperextended his knee. Uh, they called it a hamstring injury as well, which sat him down for two extra games, the uh, uh, Butler game and the Providence game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and now he's just getting, again, like the second time this year that he's got to get back into the game shape of things. And as you know, as all basketball players know, there's no shape like basketball shape. It doesn't matter how much time. Yep. Ben tells him to get on the bike and all that stuff. With the boys, he's not going to be in, in the shape that we're used to seeing him in so again great bounce back victory from the boys i'm just so happy man I, i'm so excited yeah. to have you on the pod the last thing i <laughs> wanted to do was have you on the pod after a loss man. and being down 16 you know a little i really hope that the boys can can, can get it done and, and yeah. i'm really yeah. glad that they're able to figure it all out and and uh you know push through this very pesky tough seeing hall team if you're coach mack right. in the locker room after that game well what do you say to the boys Oh, you know, he walked in there with a, hell yeah. Who on the roster do you think that he had dancing tonight? <laughs> oh, man. I hope he made Mitch dance. I hope there's a video of Mitch dancing. You know, you know if that happened, for sure, it's going to be on the boys' social media right. account. Like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you know, Mitch got hit like uh, – this guy hit like a Dougie or something, you know. I don't know if they're still Dougie, but they don't Dougie no boy. Well, <laughs> I mean, they don't Dougie. I don't know what they do anymore then. But All right, we're getting too old for that, bro. I'm 29, I'm 28. We're getting too old for that. I know. Uh, I'm just so happy that the boys won. Let's get into 
you and your career, where you came from, how to came, how you came to be the big swag that you are today. First of all, not a lot of people know this, but you were a baseball player before hopping into the basketball world, world back in Waukee. So talk to me about your baseball career in high school. Uh, I'm sure you had schools recruiting you on, on that side of the game. Um, yeah. So talk to I me mean, about like before basketball, your baseball career and where you potentially could have gone if baseball was the route that you decided to take. Yeah, I mean, I was baseball was my whole life up until sophomore summer. Uh, as a freshman, I had thrown for the Iowa Hawkeyes and they were going to offer me once they were legally allowed to offer me. Um, the White Sox and a few other teams have been calling. Uh, the White Sox called my dad when I was still in college. Like, are you sure he doesn't want to come play baseball? And it was no just, way. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was just one of those things where I just enjoyed basketball so much more. As you know, I got really bad uh, ADD, so <laughs> I couldn't focus unless in baseball all the time. There wasn't enough action for it, um, but. And I just kind of had a bad experience my last season. I was in the middle of transferring high, high schools from Des Moines Christian to Waukee, and it just kind of took the love of the game for me. And at the same time, I just started kind of getting a lot of momentum in basketball. A lot of schools started recruiting me and everything. And I just uh, – I remember the NCAA basketball game was out, and I wanted to be in that really bad. <laughs> big time. People forget then, uh, how big time that game was. I had that same thing too when, like, uh, obviously, coming from Canada, one of the goals was to actually make it to that right, video game. Right, I remember right. being like, and then they stopped the it our year. I'm trying to be in there. <laughs> they stopped it the year we got into college, of course, because yeah. everybody wanted their little $500 off EA. Like, <laughs> y'all messed it up for everybody. But, um, yeah, so, I, I mean, baseball was kind of like my life. I was around it. Um, my dad had uh, was involved with the Iowa Cubs, and I was down there with them a lot, and through with the guys down there and everything. I mean, it was really cool, but uh, I mean, basketball was great. I mean, I got numerous, you know, we, we, I'd call our team back then, like, you know, we're all pretty much brothers. I mean, it's like a second family, uh, seeing the world. I mean, places I didn't even know existed until I got there. Uh, so, I mean, I can't, I think, you know, it all worked out basically. Yeah. Recruit you uh, for baseball. Obviously, you had a knack for basketball. Uh, with being, were you six eleven already at the time you were a senior in high school? Uh, with yeah, somewhere. Skill being, yeah, with skill, being able to shoot the mid range, uh, especially well at that time, and obviously as your career has has uh, gone on, you've improved as a three point shooter. Talk to me about your senior year of high school. Obviously, you commit to the Jays, but what other schools were you thinking about going to? And, you know, what was your main reason to, you know, becoming a Blue yeah. Jay at the end of it all? Uh, so it came down to Creighton and Iowa, and uh, Iowa just wasn't that good at the time. Um, but, like, well, you talk about baseball. Uh, so Wisconsin-Milwaukee was the first team to recruit me and offer me a scholarship. And they, in July, uh, had their baseball coach call me to try and get me to play both sports there. Um, so that was really like Iowa and Wisconsin Milwaukee really schools for baseball that ended up recruiting me, uh, because I stopped playing, but, uh, it was, I had a visit set up at Colorado state when I committed when Tim miles was out there. Um, Tim miles, you know, we've been at a program, you know, he's got right. his own pod on the field of 68 network too. You guys should check that out. Um, you know, we both were recruited by Virginia. I remember we talked about that. Yeah, uh, Clemson. Clemson. Yeah. Um, 
And then there was a lot of schools out west because my high school coach came from Washington State with Coach Bennett. Uh, and then he ended up being – he was from Iowa, and he just took a year off and coached at my high school. And so it was like a lot of West Coast schools. So uh, And then the reason I chose Creighton was, you know, I'm from Iowa, so I grew up like it's two hours from my house. And it was either, you know, like – and Iowa was also two hours. But I didn't really want to go and just be with all the same people I went to high school with and, and stay in the same state. And granted, I left literally five minutes away from my state lines. But I was out of state. Um, but the Nebraska like, Iowa line is literally <laughs> right in Omaha, but yeah, yeah we, okay, can, we, can, we can we can walk to <laughs> Iowa, but um, it was just uh, one of those things that I grew up watching them. I remember the Corver days, and you know, they kind of ran the valley for a while. and mm-hmm. I really wanted to play in the NCAA tournament. I felt like that was the school that was going to get me into the NCAA tournament, along with uh, my parents loved the academic side of it. I wasn't so much as interested in academics at the time, but now that it's it's over and I got my degree from Creighton, if I so choose to use it, it's a great thing yeah. to have in the pocket. Of course. Uh, obviously, you came in, uh, you were asked to redshirt your freshman year uh, behind Kenny Lawson Jr. and Gregory Echenique. Obviously, two great guys, two current pros still who have carved out uh, for uh kenny i think it's about 10 years now and for greg uh, for greg it's about eight years if i'm not mistaken uh eight or nine years uh what was that conversation like with the coaches obviously you have this aspiration to play your first year everybody wants to be the the hot freshman coming in you know playing right away and all that stuff but you're asked to take a a step back to sacrifice a year in order to not only get yourself better but the coaches really believed that that was going to help our team in the future uh, yeah. not clogging up that that big spot with the three right. guys. So, what was it like for you to redshirt that year, uh, knowing that uh, you wanted to step in and compete right away? I mean, I would think I might have been like a rarity in it because I went into college, like I we both. I mean, we both committed to Altman, um, <laughs> and I had talked numerous talks with Altman and D Rock that I was probably gonna have to redshirt. I was 180 pounds at trying to play the center position, and granted, I was recruited as a power forward slash center, so I thought you know I was gonna be power forward, but what you don't realize in college is you get sl- you get slide down a spot like you were recruited as a point guard you'd move to shooting guard yeah and so like i kind of figured it but uh and then uh i just it was one of those things that like mac told me you know like we really believe in you and that's why we are redshirting you if we wanted we don't want to waste a year year so if we were to if we weren't redshirting you it'd be wasting a year and we would it would kind of show that we don't believe in you but by redshirting you it's, you know, they're investing a scholar in that another year of scholarship. They invested five years into me, which at Creighton is, is expensive. I mean, so it's, it. so to me, I didn't necessarily look at it as a negative. Uh, my freshman, my freshman, freshman year was, I mean, you know, it was a lot of fun. I didn't travel as much. I kind of, I was a basketball player, but I also like, that was the only year I felt more so like a normal college student a little bit, just because I didn't go and I didn't go on the road trips as much. So it was just, it was a little different, but I mean, it, to me, it was it, it was long, but it was also it was also definitely needed and worth it. I obviously witnessed firsthand you going <laughs> against those two guys specifically every day in practice, and you know they got to sub in for each other, but you were on the uh, scout team, and you basically had to play the entire practice against two monsters. <laughs> yeah, it was what tight. I was one hundred eighty yeah. pounds, and Greg was like three hundred <laughs> pounds. That was why. Uh, I was just like, I'm just going to become like best friends with him. 
Right. Like, and then maybe he'll take it easier on me in practice. He chipped like three of my teeth and everything. And, and I mean, granted we are like, I mean, we're literally brothers in laws now. So I mean, it all, it all worked out. out. I mean, but I mean, just trying to go against him. I mean, I remember there was numerous practices where they had to pull me off of Greg because he was, it was too easy for him. I mean, that's why I had a redshirt to put on the weight and they had to put coach Crawford on to guard him. And so Croft, legend. Yeah. Yeah. So I just was one of those things that practices weren't fun. I remember getting kicked out of a couple practices because I wasn't they didn't think I was competing. I'm like, I'm trying. I just can't I can't do much with this. Hosses to big boys down there. I mean so but I mean I really do credit a lot to that year to the physicality of my game now where when I went to Asia and I played against guys that were like seven, six, 300 some pounds, it was like, mm-hmm. I've already granted Greg six, nine, six, eight, but I already, I was like, I don't think, I don't believe there's a stronger basketball player than Greg. Right. I might be wrong, but I mean, look at the guy. He, yeah. He, he knows how to position himself. He knows how to maneuver that, that body to get to perfect position every time. Right. And just in case you're in his way, he knows how to lower that shoulder ever so slightly to tip you over. So I yeah, remember, I remember uh, I'd always take uh, charges in him in practice, and he gets so mad. Right. <laughs> and he goes, hey, hey, stop flopping. Hey, stop like, flopping. Uh, you, you really think I got a flop? You got 100 pounds on me. <laughs> I remember one time we did the Spartan rebounding drill, and I, for whatever oh, reason, man. got matched up against him one time. You remember uh, how it said, I think it said Blue Jay on the baseline at Old Gym. I went to go try and box him out. He basically just lifted his elbow and threw me from my box opposition to the L on the Blue Jay on the the baseline, laying on my back, and I knew never to do a rotation box out against Greg ever again. (laughs) I mean, I think because for the first half of the year, remember, he had to sit out, so he was on scout team with me. Right, yeah, that's right. I I think that that was when we did it at the CenturyLink, and he threw Kenny into, like, the first or second row. (laughs) Yeah, so I stood, I stood no chance if he was doing that to Kenny, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about, obviously, your now your redshirt freshman year. Um, you come off the bench, but you're an integral part of us uh, not winning the regular season that year, but us winning the Valley Tournament. Um, you brought some great energy, some spark in times when we, we needed it. Uh, and you actually did that for most of your career. If we, if we look at, you know, obviously your yeah. sophomore year, you were asked to start at the beginning of your junior year until we, until Coach Mack decided that Ethan was a better fit for that starting five. But still, you came off the bench and provided great energy. You had some really big games for us when, or, when we were, you know, not playing well or maybe not starting the game off well. Talk to me about uh, what you learned coming off the bench, providing a spark, and how it's helped you in your professional career, obviously, and and helping you shape the kind of man that you are today yeah i mean really actually i mean i credit a lot of it to you you were always a big energy guy and it was like especially like your freshman year i watched how you went from coming off the bench to a starter because of your energy right and so like for me when i was like well we lost that when you became a starter so it was my job i felt like to kind of come in and bring a spark like i did an interview the other day and somebody was like you looked like you talked a lot of junk out there and i was like I never talked for myself. I was, you I was were just barking. Well, people I, don't know you were barking out there. <laughs> I was always talking for Doug. I was talking for Greg. I was talking for everybody else because some of those guys, like Doug, you know, didn't say much. But and that would just energize us. And it was just one of those things that, like, 
if I was on the court, I wanted to be the hardest playing guy because I knew that was my best way to stay on the court because we had so many great shooters and scorers that that wasn't my role. And, you know, the reason why our teams were successful is because everybody played their role and they never tried to stray from it. Right. And the majority of people think that Doug didn't talk trash. Believe you me, Doug talked trash. It just was so low-key. People didn't really yeah. know it. Every you, were more, you were more like outwardly running back on defense, especially like if you got a bucket or whatever the case would be. If you got a bucket, you would come back and yell and scream and say, let's go and stuff like that. Be running the other guy's ear. But, I mean, there was no uh, – everybody was a dog on that team. <laughs> like, yeah. I even kind of low-key got into it. For the most part, my talking trash was just trying to get our crowd as as much in a frenzy as I possibly could. But uh, yeah, everybody, especially Grant, Grant was like the leader Grant. of the new school when it came to trash talking at you. <laughs> yeah, but Grant never stopped talking trash. Like if right. we were off the court, it was the same thing. So I mean, he just he it was just always turned on for him. Speaking of Grant. Uh, he dubbed you this beautiful name that we still call you to this day. Really got the fans uh, a, a new perspective of who you were. The first time he ever called you that was that Blue Jay Madness, the right. night when you won the dunk competition. Thanks to yours truly, I, I'll take fifty percent of of that oh, performance. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Nick Ball was on the mic and he asked. Uh, what was your nickname? Grant stood up, got on the mic, and he said, "We call him Big Swag." How did that moniker change your life as a as a Korean player? Obviously, walking up and down the mall, going to different uh, classes and stuff like that. All of a sudden, you go from being Willer Tino to Big Swag. How yeah, did that I mean, kind of change your life uh, for the time being. <laughs> it was kind of a gift and a curse. I think the one thing it did is that, like I, it gave me, at least like amongst like the fan base, it definitely like kind of edged out like a spot and like because I was just like a little role player mm -hmm. to, but we were like a really good team but like all of a sudden that like jumped me up to like all of a sudden I was like somebody I guess like it was kind of weird like um just how like overnight like it kind of just like it wasn't super mod of attention but it was like way more attention than I'd ever had and mm -hmm. it was just like a little thing that all of a sudden oh because I have a nickname now like things changed really like it was it was kind of weird but you know it was it is what it is i mean isn't that beautiful kind of like something like that could, isn't that beautiful how something like that could do for you like uh, honestly like we all had maybe our own like individual nicknames obviously uh dougie mcbuckets and then you have Robbie bombs and then like everyone kind of had their own little shtick and then all of a sudden after that one night your thing is big swag and yeah. it just kind of propels you into like uh, being a conversation piece because not only obviously you backed it up on the court too. People saw that your effort, your energy was there on some nights. You came in and provided, you know, 11, 12 points off the bench, six, seven rebounds. And all of a sudden it's not Will Artino doing that. It's big swag doing that. So right. uh, is, was that kind of weird? Like obviously that's at the infancy of social media. Twitter was just starting to get popping. When people re like were calling you big swag on social media, was that... A little weird for you? I mean, yeah. I mean, you remember at first I like I really hated it for yeah, some reason. Yeah, you rejected but, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then once I like kind of just let it, I was like, you know, it's here to stay. I just kind of got to own it, and that's when it like it really did become that like on the court type of thing. Like it was like a not Doctor Jackal, Mister Hyde type of thing, but like you know, it was just like like uh, I can't think of the word, but you know, it's just how. 
how I was on the court. It was just like gave me like a like a more of like a attitude on the court to be kind of trying to be more like a dog. And it was like when I I'm just chilling, I'm well, but like if some if I'm playing or something, you know, I'm it's big swag. swag yeah. <laughs> You were up on obviously some really successful teams. Uh, you were my teammate for so long. Um, talk to me. I don't want to put you on the spot, but maybe your your favorite moment uh, as a Creighton Blue Jay, uh, whether it be like your freshman year all the way up to your senior. Just talk to me about when you think about your time as a player uh, for Coach Mack and for the program, for the institution, what jumps out in your mind as, you know, that, that was a time that was really special for me? I mean, that I think the last run through the Valley for sure. That whole year was just a blast. You know, we like we didn't really know that we were going to go to the Big East, but just once we kind of going into the Valley Tournament, we 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 knew, but we didn't. And just you know, just running through that, leaving being Wichita uh, senior night, then being Wichita in the the Valley Tournament to win it. And then uh, I was thinking about this because I knew you was going to ask me like my favorite memory. Uh, you remember after we won that game? We flew back and we went to the Biodome, and we uh, uh, Joe Kelly started play, or Joe Kelly started playing Chief Keef. We just oh. listened to Chief Keef. <laughs> that might be one of the, my favorite things. Nobody was on campus. We could celebrate with us. Yeah. us in the dorm, asking Chief Keef, and we were just dancing around. And I think that was just kind of the epitome of our team. Like we were so close, yeah. we did everything together, and it was just like really like a brother brotherhood i forgot that like uh that was everybody's uh what's it called right uh what's that week called spring break uh, yeah it was everybody's spring break and yeah you're right so people would come to st louis to start their spring break obviously yeah. we would win they would go on to wherever they would go and we would have to go back to camp because we had to get a week ready um to get ready for the NCAA tournament but that is that's how you know there was nobody on campus because that is literally the loudest we've ever oh, played yeah. music. And as we've yelled in Opus and no, no one no, came to tell no, us no, anything, no noise complaints, no, no write-ups, no nothing. <laughs> we, used, yeah. we used to get write-ups for playing music individually in our rooms. And yeah, now yeah, it's so. just like we were, the doors were open. Uh, the other room that was right across the hall, that door was open too. I remember yeah, was, people yeah, coming in and out of those two rooms. and. What a time to be alive, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually a good call. When I ask that, most guys have basketball memories, which obviously you you have some too, but it's those kind of stories that, like, I love doing this podcast for those Yeah, kind of I mean, it was just it reminds like, me of times like that. Yeah, it was just like, like the basketball stuff, you know, like, it was obviously amazing and everything, but, like, really it was just like, the, like, after practice in the locker room, listening to music, like, they're just like doing stuff as a team. Like for me, like some of the best times were the summers when nobody was on campus and it was just us all hanging out, just going through workouts and just, you know, doing whatever we would find something to do because there was nothing to do really. But those times, you know, was times we all became close and became good friends and, you know, just hanging out and shoot, shooting the, you know, yeah, yeah, just hang out, <laughs> just shoot it. <laughs> well, I want to ask you what your favorite place to play on the road was, or where it was your favorite place to play on the road. I'm assuming it was against Drake because you go back home to Des Moines, but if I'm wrong, what was the uh, place that you most liked to yeah. play on the road? I mean, in the Valley, it was definitely like personal with Drake because, you know, mm -hmm. they recruited me and 
before Iowa got involved. I tried of course. to break I remember they didn't all the time. And they tried to and I tried to commit there and they wouldn't take me at the time. And so to go back and be like have some of my best games at Drake in front of the coach that didn't want me, it's like, all right, are you sure? Like you still don't yeah. but I mean but as far as like when we went to the Big East, things have changed just so much. Like every game and every place had like some sort of history to it outside of football, but that's okay. <laughs> Shots fired. I mean, we had like home games there, but uh, Chicago. There's a lot of there's a lot of Crane alumni. Yeah. Who, so who I mean, it was fun. It was to fun Chicago for jobs and stuff like that. Yeah, so, yeah but like you know, you think you think about like Butler, like playing at Hinkle Fieldhouse, playing at. Um, uh, uh, I can't. Providence, their place was crazy. Yeah, uh, and then Dunkin you know, Donuts Arena. Yeah, right? and then yeah. getting getting to play in the Garden. I mean, of course. you know, that's everybody's basketball dream to play in the Garden yeah. of Semeca. And you know, I did the math the other day. I got to play there like seven times or something, which is like a ton. I mean, it was pretty crazy. Just so I mean, like the Garden would be the best, but that's a neutral site. So go with Drake and Butler. Right. When I play overseas, obviously sometimes I play like some Euroleague teams, some Euro Cup teams, and you walk right. into their arena, the local players are always like, "Oh, have you ever seen something like this?" And I'm like, "Boy, I play at the Garden, boy. You don't, don't tell me nothing." <laughs> our, the Century Link was was that. Exactly. What do you mean? That's our home gym. We had eighteen thousand right. fans. Like Century Link was popping, and. You know, it, it's certainly uh, it helps with the experience of playing overseas, playing in different arenas and stuff like that. Like yeah. nothing is a surprise. You know exactly what yeah. to expect when you've been in those big uh, venues. Uh, speaking of playing overseas, obviously, well, like I touched at the top of the podcast, uh, you've been a pro for quite some time now. Uh, I want to get your opinion on what's the major difference between, you know, college basketball and, and pro basketball in your opinion? Because I'm sure that answer is different for everyone. But I want to know big swag I mean, specific opinion. I mean, for me, it was like a huge difference in the sense of my role. Like I go from being a team guy and not caring about scoring or stats to all of a sudden I got to produce my stats if I want to keep my job. I mean, I don't I don't know if it's necessarily harder or it's just a lot different. The shot clock is shorter. The games are faster paced. Um, but I mean, it was just really trying to break the mold of being a college role player to becoming the first or second option on the team, depending on the year. And so it took me a little bit. And I mean, we can talk about how, you know, you kind of saved my career when you sent me the agent where, you know, we got the same agent. And from there, that was when my career took off. Uh, so, I mean, it was just, it was just, that's kind of the biggest thing is just figuring out ways to score more without, shooting so many shots so many you know without being a ball hog basically right and shout out to Bo for keeping them checks coming man we appreciate you right. <laughs> shout right. out to Bo, man. Bo. he's out here grinding all the time uh, what has been family. what has been your favorite place to play overseas i know you and i've had many conversations off air like europe is not a spot that you enjoyed as much as some other people have right like, you told me that you really like the asian market and and playing in those different countries. So what has been your favorite place to play at? Uh, Taiwan or Malaysia these last two years. Uh, I, they're the same league, so it's nice to travel around. You know, you go to nine different countries 
throughout the season and you i really like their lifestyle uh it's a little more slow or not slower pace but it's just like everybody minds their own business and everybody's super nice and helpful if you need anything like in europe i ran into like a lot of people that i knew they spoke english but like i'm at the grocery store trying to get help and they keep talking to me in their language and i'm like i know you speak english like help me find some beef like come on <laughs> like so i just think that like in europe a lot of a few of my checks didn't come all my checks come in asia so yeah you know it's a job like where what other job do you do where you're not getting paid on payday like if you work at a gas station you're getting paid every two weeks i'm working as a basketball player and i signed a contract you guys signed a contract give me my money at the end of the month like if you expect me to keep playing i mean i've gone three months without a check and it's like at that time i wasn't playing for a lot of money either so it's like okay it's not a lot of money so you know i like i mean i was down i was a professional basketball player with 20 dollars in my bank account like in europe so I mean, it was just so I, I just didn't ever find a place in Europe I really liked. I know there's good situations out there. It's just like there's probably bad situations in Asia. But, right. you know, it's just a matter of every, but every professional player finds a different fit. And uh, my fit has just seemed to be in Asia. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm trying to stay. I'll go back there after this next stint in Latin America. And then, you know, if I could have it my way, I'd just stay out in Asia. Yeah. Let's talk about this a little bit because it's kind of interesting. Uh, as professional uh, athletes and, and pro hoopers overseas, we hear about all these horror stories about teams folding, not paying that guy, sending guys home, cutting contracts and all that stuff. And you obviously you never want to be in the middle of it. Uh, you have found yourself in, I think, a couple of those situations. How crazy is it that like teams, I guess they don't get in trouble enough for being able to do that to players and and year after year you see that they're hosting teams they're calling guys in they're they're bringing them away right. from their homes their families and the next thing you know uh they get either cut or they don't get their money on time and they choose to leave and and that's kind of like the stain a stain on the players resume but it never is a really big stain on the team's resume so no the team just about your own situation like for instance my the romania my team in romania was uh, a team that was a mid-level team and they brought me in to make a playoff push and we ended up getting eighth. And so we were last, well, the last playoff team in and we got swept and, you know, I was supposed to get a playoff bonus and they were like, what I, we don't want to give you your bonus because we were going to make the playoffs without you. And granted that, I mean, I was like, all right, then you owe me three other checks. So how about you give me the other checks? But I mean, that, that place was, I took the city bus to practice. And if I was late to practice, they would find me. And, but I'm like, I can't control the bus times. Like, right. um, what what are you going to find me with the money you don't pay me? Like, all right. <laughs> so, I mean, and there was a time where I had to take a bike through. They gave me a bike when I got I got off the plane. They're like, here's your bike. And I'm like, okay. They're like, yeah, you got a bike to lunch. It's 45 minutes away. Oh, yeah, it's going to snow in two months. So, good luck. The horror stories of playing overseas that. And, you know, <laughs> Cyprus, there was cockroaches everywhere in my apartment or, and mold growing. The car, they gave yeah. me a car that didn't have power steering. Uh, and on the way to the first game, the car broke down at a red light. And I just walked the rest of the way to the arena, handed them the keys. And I'm like, I got to play a game. I don't know what you guys want to do. The car's uh, like three blocks down the road if you want to go figure it out. Right. So, I mean, it, and they, that same place, they didn't give me all the checks. And I mean, it was just 
it's just the lower levels of Europe that they don't understand, people don't understand, you know, you're sacrificing a lot to be away from your family and friends and everybody else is going about their life and you're stuck mm-hmm. feeling really isolated at times. And it's, it's not easy. That's why I know somebody told me when I became a professional basketball player that the average, the average professional player is a year or six months because they go home for Christmas and they don't come back. Right. And so, I mean, so props to both of us for sticking through and carving out not man, I, just, I was gonna say props to you because i mean i've obviously i've known you for so long now a decade plus man we've we've been yeah. friends for a really 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 long time um i've seen your growth as a man as an individual i know the will artino that i met <laughs> when we were 18 right <laughs> was certainly not gonna uh i guess kind of continue this route you're you're gonna do something different but you know, you believed in yourself. Obviously, you've grown as a person, you've grown as a player, and, and me being, you know, having a front row seat at, at seeing that growth, and I couldn't be happier for you. I'm so proud of the person that you are now, that the the men that you've become, and obviously, you're you're still pursuing your dreams. You're still getting them checks, like I said, and you know that that's actually, uh, you know, you should pat yourself on the back for how much improvement you've done for yourself as a person, as a man. Yeah, man, I uh, appreciate it. It's yeah. I mean, I moved to college at 17. I, I was laughing because I was, uh, you know, once we figured out we were getting on it, I was driving home from workhouse today and I was like, I remember me and Jahans did not start off on a good foot. I don't remember what I did, but you were so annoyed at me within like the first week. And then fast forward to 10 years later, we're like best friends. So, I mean, right. you know, we may work at least, at least you stuck around to let me mature a little bit and grow. <laughs> <laughs> we made it work for sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what you did, but uh, I mean, you're right. I remember like the crazy thing is when I first committed, you were one of the first, you were the first person to hit me up I, on like Facebook Messenger yeah. or something like that. And we were chopping it up before uh, we got to was, campus and stuff I mean, like that. I mean, that's because I was the only freshman commit where there was like two JUCO commits and me. And I was just like, they were like trying to get all these guys. And finally there was a kid and, that committed with me and I was just so happy and then you were the one that told me Altman left I oh yeah that. that's right yeah because uh Kenesha the school that I was verbally committed to going to before uh they hit me up on a random Saturday morning or just like hey so if you want to come we have a scholarship available for you but you need to tell us by 7 p.m tonight and I was like what like I told you guys I'm going to Curry and then he was they're like uh are you sure because your coach just got up and left to go to Oregon and that's right. how I found out. And then I texted you right away. And then we were just both kind of freaking out trying to I was figure like, out what? what's going to And then like the 10 minutes, like I had just woken up like Saturday morning. And then 10 minutes later, the World Herald calls me. And they're like, how do you feel about Altman leaving? And I'm like, I'm going to have to call you back. I don't even know yeah. he left. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I think needless to say that it worked out, obviously, for yeah. the both of us. Coach Mac came in and, and really introduced us to the family and really kind of changed the culture. Um, yeah. And, you know, now the boys are reaping the benefits of, you know, stuff that, that we laid the groundwork for way back in the day. So Yeah, Crane, you got to send us our gearbox. <laughs> we didn't get a gearbox this year. I know it's COVID and a pandemic, but you guys are Nike Elite now. And I mean, no, you're in Omaha. Drive down to Champion Center and get what's, your, what's coming to you, bro. <laughs> uh, I can't. Like, they probably they aren't letting people in, I don't think. Cause, no, I know. Yeah, they got to be careful. I need that Elite box. I have one last question for you, Will. It's becoming one of my favorite questions to ask uh, guys who come on the pod. I asked it to Justin Carter last week. You're about to go to Uruguay. Uh, 
depending on the you know the season schedule for the different leagues that you're interested in playing in, you might not be back home for a really long while. So uh, tell me what your first meal is when you touch back down to the States uh, after a long stint overseas, because Justin Carter described it as doing a nine month bid and you're coming back home. <laughs> so this is the last question before I, I let mean, you go. What's going to be I, your first meal when you come back? I mean, luckily, me in Asia, I can get anything. Like I've been in big cities and they're melting pot cities that there are a lot of expats and stuff. So I mean, I can get anything. Like I found Wingstop in Malaysia, for instance. I mean, yeah, so I, I'm, I was I'm blessed. I'm blessed out there. But typically, it's you know you're traveling 30 hours and you don't want to go sit down. So I'll just drive through Chick Fil A usually. I mean, yeah. you know, a little Chick Fil A sauce and nuggets. That's Justin's meal too. That's Justin's meal too. That's crazy. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people. I know. One of them was Panda Express one time. Mm-hmm. I, I was just, I literally got home, drove through Panda Express, went to my friend's house, and I was like, let's go. I've been gone usually, for nine months. Right. Usually my first thing is the poutine because I get back to Canada first. But right. when I'm back in Omaha, for whatever reason, Raising Cane's is one oh, of those yeah, things. Yeah. I have to go, like, and then Qdoba. Raising Cane's and Qdoba for me, like, if, if yeah. one of my first Raising couple meals is that, I'm not complaining at all. I got to get my drover. I got to get a steakhouse. I got to get something like that in. (laughs) That's because you play in these, you play in these villages. You got like whatever the, whatever the country's dishes. That's what you got to eat. Meat meat and potatoes. I'm in a village. I'm in a village (laughs) that's got two streets and three supermarkets, bro. That's where I'm at right now. If you (laughs) want a restaurant, you got the house special. It's meat and potatoes, some type of soup. Right. You know, I'm, I know the Baltic area, so of yeah. course that, playing in that was the roughest place stuff. for food, for sure. Yeah. You know me, I'm well, a picky eater. Yeah, you are. You know, I'm glad that you were able to survive out here in these streets. Yeah. I had chicken and Caesar salad for every meal for six months. No. It was awful. At least you survived, bro. Thank you so much for coming on the pod, Will. Obviously, like I've been waiting to get you on. Hopefully we get you on again. I know a couple of people have asked to come back on, so hopefully you're one of those guys too. So, Will, I appreciate you so much for coming onto the pod and obviously sharing your story with us, doing a little post-game analysis. Uh, how did it feel to be kind of on this side of the media? <laughs> I mean, it's it's different as a player, yeah. but, you know, I hope some people like our insight, you know, as players' minds, so we kind of think like them and, Hopefully they found whatever we had to say interesting and enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed being on and hopefully we can make it work again. You know, maybe we can get me on after the tournament run or something. Let's go. Maybe it's Let's a go good luck. Man. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, right. yeah, it was great. It's always good seeing you, brother. Man, you already know. Make sure you guys like and subscribe to the Field of 68 Media Network. And don't forget to download the Locker Room app. I know to get a little bit more uh, content for pre and post game. Uh, from myself and that's also another way for you guys to interact and actually join into the conversation with your voice and ask questions and and have a one-on-one conversation with me as we discuss all things curtain blue jay men's basketball well thank you again brother love you man stay safe obviously we'll talk soon and go jays yes sir go jays roll jays (laughs) come on